Our scripture this morning comes from uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 11 to 16. And we read this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flocks when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lay down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer, our uh, two-year-old son learned that some things in this world cannot be trusted. Uh, We had been to the beach before with him, but this was the year that he genuinely engaged with all those things that make vacations fun. The first couple times when he, the, we brought him, he fell asleep when we took him to the beach. Second year, he just ran up and down uh, the beach because it was the most space he'd ever seen. But this year, uh, he was excited to be there. He loved building sandcastles. He stood amazed. He would point out every bird that was uh, there. Uh, the birds running at the edge of the water or the ones soaring above him or the ones sort of gliding out over the blue uh, ocean. He liked swimming in the pool so long as one of us was holding him. He really liked getting ice cream a lot more than usual. He just loved the beach. But like most kids, he learned to carry a deep fear about the ocean itself. Whenever we walked along the beach, he would repeatedly express his mistrust in what he called the big pool. Uh, That's what he called the ocean. So to him, and probably most of us when we were also very young, every crashing wave issued a veiled threat. If you get too close, I will get you. Now, waves are violent and unpredictable, especially if you are, uh, you know, just like a foot tall. The waves could not be trusted to stay put. In his mind, they might do anything. Even when he stood next to us, right at the very edge of the water, uh, waves could knock him off his feet, and then the next one would come rushing forward. This can be rather alarming. Uh, So he learned to keep his distance, just in case one of those giant walls of water crashed down too close for comfort. And despite his newfound wariness, he also knew that we would be with him too. Most kids, maybe even most adults, operate within a unique tension. This world might be chaotic and dangerous, but the people who love you will do their level best to keep you safe. The unexpected crash of waves, staircases climbed before bedtime, loud noises from vacuums or dogs next door, even arguments amongst older siblings are easily handled so long as mom and dad are around to comfort and encourage. 
Uh, in the kitchen, whenever we turn on the blender or anything that makes noise, he will immediately run to the parent who is not doing that thing, right? Because he knows, okay, well, there I can be safe. For toddlers, parents offer a sense of security they can't find anywhere else. The trust that children have in their parents instills a confidence that allows them to explore their growing world with courage. They might be stepping into the unknown, but they also know that they are loved. And their people will be there for them if something goes wrong or gets too big for them to handle. This desire to trust someone or something solid and secure remains in us for much longer than childhood. Living in such a broken world where life seems governed more by random chance than a divine plan, we all desperately desire a foundation that can support our lives and lend hope to our future. Dreams fall apart for no good reason in this world, leaving us struggling for a new direction. Illness strikes without warning, hijacking the lives of those we love towards some uncertain end. Tragedies crash into our lives, much like waves, leaving us to pick up the pieces. Most of us have experienced, have also experienced the disappointment of placing our trust in the wrong things. People we admire sometimes let us down. Institutions we believe in don't live up to their own values. Even our heroes tend to fall off their pedestals. We see this uh, in different surveys that have been uh, uh, that, have, that have happened recently, the trust in uh, public trust and in institutions, including the church, including the government, including uh, people in positions of authority, all of it is at record lows. Wanting uh, to be valued, we place our identity into what we're uh, able to achieve in the classroom or on the field or in the workplace. We want to find things that we can rely in. Desiring to be loved, we center our whole lives on creating a perfect relationship or ideal family. Hoping to build something that lasts, we place our future in the hands of the financial markets, our own government, our own abilities to build what we think we need. In a world of sinking sand, where so many things have already let us down, we crave stability. But we are not the first generation to search for such reliability. In the time of Ezekiel, the Israelites faced an incredibly chaotic world and had been let down by their own political and spiritual leaders. Conquered and taken into slavery by their larger neighbor Babylon, everything the people had relied upon had been taken away or deliberately destroyed. In the face of such overwhelming change, the children of God looked obviously first to their leaders, but found that their trust had been misplaced. When the nation fell into ruin, the kings and spiritual leaders abandoned the people to first look after their own needs. Earlier in Ezekiel 34, Yahweh pronounces judgment on those that ignored their responsibilities like this. He calls them poor shepherds. Shepherds that abandoned their responsibility. He says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You clothe yourselves with the wool of the sheep, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly. 
and brutally. They were scattered because there was no shepherd over the whole earth. They were scattered and no one searched or looked for them. Let down by the very people the Lord had appointed to take care of his children. The people of Israel in this moment found themselves literally like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost in a world that scorned them. And they faced a dire future without any hope of consolation or comfort. Everything that they knew had fallen apart. Everything they knew had been lost forever. But in his grace, Yahweh wanted the people then, and he wants us to know today, that no matter what happens, our God can still be trusted. Our God always walks with his children through this life to comfort and provide and lead. Even if everyone and everything let his children down, he would not just be there, but he would step in and assume the role of shepherd himself. Now, of course, this promise might seem a little bit strange to us, or it might actually feel a little bit familiar. We know that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. We know this imagery. Uh, but we, it might still feel a little strange because we've never taken responsibility for uh, a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle. But the metaphor itself held much more weight at the time when it was common to depict the king as a shepherd of the people who were his flock. But Yahweh's promise here grows when we understand that in the ancient world, shepherds did not own their flocks. They worked for the flock's owner. They would work for the king. The shepherds would take care of the king's flock. In Ezekiel 34, 31, God is the owner of the flock, and the kings of Israel who work for God kept the flock safe. But in the promise that God extends here, the restoration of the kingdom, of the monarchy, of the systems that the people had lost is only mentioned twice. Yahweh promises not to restore the kingdom, not to restore the kings that failed Israel, because those were proven to be unreliable. Instead, God is, says, God is saying, I will come and fulfill those duties and responsibilities myself. If the flock is lost, then God will seek them out, and Yahweh is the one who, bring, who will bring his people home leading them to his mountain that offers greater safety and security than anything they'd known before. In fact, Yahweh's promises conclude on a sort of cosmic level uh, when the people will return to his mountain and enter a covenant of peace where the whole world is restored to the goodness and shalom lost when humanity fell into sin. There. Yahweh promises not just to restore to individuals or even his own people, but the whole world. He wouldn't just address specific wounds, but uh, bring universal healing. He will find each one of his children and bring them home forever. When God comes to be our shepherd, he will make everything right. Indeed, only in God do we find a security that lasts forever, a stability that will never let us down. For Ezekiel, only God has proven that he can be trusted. He alone will care for them as a loving shepherd. He'll restore them to their own land. He'll provide for their every need. And he not only rescues, but promises to be with 
his children forever. To walk through with them through the ups and downs of this world. He promises to protect his children and strengthen them when they face trials and tribulations. He promises to bring trouble to whatever troubles them. But the promise itself reveals something even more wonderful about the depth of our God's faithfulness to his children. In the Old Testament, the Israelites could always look back to the mighty acts of the Lord and their past to remember that God had fulfilled his promises before and would keep them again in the future. The promise Yahweh shares here certainly repeats the already understood reality that God wouldn't abandon his people because he loved them. But this promise in particular points forward. It points forward to a time when Yahweh will be their shepherd in ways the Israelites could hardly imagine. That God will be their shepherd isn't just metaphorical, but a glimpse into the future when the Savior arrives to not just lead his children like a shepherd, but sacrifice himself so his flock might taste eternal life. When Jesus died for us, the Lord provides certain proof that our God not just will, but already has stepped into his creation, into your life, to rescue and restore his children and remake the world. Every one of the promises Yahweh shares through Ezekiel is fulfilled in the life and the death of Jesus. A few years ago, a study revealed that young children who can reliably depend on their parents' presence uh, and support approach life with more curiosity and willingness to try new things. Now, what was amazing about this was that even when they weren't physically present, children trusted that their parents would be there for them in a tangible way, and that uh, resulted in these children being more adventurous and secure when new situations occurred. They knew they belonged to someone that loved them, and they would keep them safe. The same occurs for us on a spiritual level. God's faithfulness confirmed at the cross frees us to approach life with confidence and joy. When we trust that our Lord died to free us from sin and seal us in eternal life, our approach to life is changed in two main ways. First, because our lives have been secured in Jesus, we know we will face We will never face anything alone. We'll never face anything alone. No matter what happens, our God will be with us. Charles Spurgeon writes that he who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. He knows your case as thoroughly as if you were the only creature he ever made or the only saint he ever loved. God stands with us at the ready, waiting to weather the storms of life and see us through them. We endure no trial without his help, walk no path without his guidance, or we find our way home only with his direction. He is our shepherd, the one who rescues and guides us. As old hymn goes, the king of love my shepherd is, whose goodness fails never. I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever. 
In death's dark veil, I fear no ill. With thee, dear Lord, beside me, thy rod and staff, they comfort still thy cross before to guide me. The second effect of trusting in God's faithfulness is that we are free to be the people he designed us to be. When we recognize that our God walks with us, we are free to live courageously, to take the risks of faith by confessing his name, to seek the lost, to cheer the sad, to challenge and defeat evil and mirror the love he graciously shows to us. Theologian uh, Karl Barth wrote, In God alone there is faithfulness and faith and the trust that we may hold to him, to his promise and to his guidance. To hold to God is to rely on the fact that God is there for me and to live in this certainty. To live in the certainty that God is there for me. See, we do live in a world that is much more broken and chaotic. But when we trust that our God will be there for us, none of these worries or anxieties, none of the trials we face actually matter because our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than anything we will ever face, more powerful than suffering, greater than even death. When we trust that our God keeps his promises, we can live without fear because he has already met and defeated everything that would try to separate us from his hands. Even more amazing is that we no longer just endure the brokenness and evil around us, but overcome it with God's strength and grace. We don't just sit there and let the waves pound on us. We can stand up. Jesus says in Matthew 16, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. This is not a defensive posture, but a promise of ultimate victory. Paul describes this new spiritual reality for believers when he encourages us in Romans 12 to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The waves of this broken world might still crash down around us, but we can stand steady because our God is with us. And one day he will tell the chaos of this world, this whole world, to be calm and to be still, and we will live in his peace forever. Sometimes we read scripture and it feels like the promise is a little bit more generic. It is so universal, we think that it's not just for us personally. But the nature of the promise found in Ezekiel and confirmed in Jesus means that we can trust that our Lord is not only for us, but with us. God is not only a shepherd of a generic flock. He is the shepherd of your life. He walks with you through your troubles. He knows your anxieties and concerns. He knows your worries and fears. He knows the dreams that you've dreamed that have fallen apart and the dreams that you've dreamed that have come true. He walks with you. He has already found you when he had gone, when we had gone astray. He's already rescued us from harm and he will do it again because he loves us. He loves us so deeply he died so that we might live. And if his promises are true and they are true, 
then we can approach this life with courage. We can approach this life with confidence because we know our God walks with us. So take heart. Our Lord died so that he might take our hand and not just lead us home, but into the world so all people might know their shepherd has come to rescue and restore and bring them home. Hallelujah. Amen.